documentary in progress for the week of September 22nd, 2018. This history in the indelible story is a series of narratives that are and were at cross purposes. It is a history of narratives, including those by several authorities. Some tended to implement a kind of social control. Some intended to create a blindness in the general public so greater profits could be made, sometimes from illegal methods, through war or wars or drugs. And often these efforts resulted in disasters on many levels for many of the human beings involved, some of who participated, profited, some died, and some spent their lives in prison. But like other stories that border this one, recording the history of events and people with any semblance of authenticity is constantly thwarted. As Julian Assange says, when WikiLeaks tries to share facts, those facts are often distorted by the mainstream media. Or they, as messengers, have their voices distorted through smears. And I have seen in this story data in historical databases changed in order to distort events. Even factual statistics are altered, all done under the watchful eyes and even directed by authorities. So it seems there is no way to tell the story in a traditional way, as usually what happens if one attempts to do so in these circumstances Examples of controlled opposition will be created and appear in the media. That is one reason to let the parts of the story drip out in these podcasts rather than provide one big story, that it becomes one big target (laughs) that is then dismissed through more well-funded efforts. And so the authentic story is forever lost. Being aware of this common type of response by authorities creates an opportunity to invent another form of telling. But it cannot just be a straightforward telling, as there are human beings from the story that live today and are suffering. Their suffering cannot be sidestepped. And so this story is not a completed history. It lives. And for these reasons, I have begun to explore alternative ways to tell the story. And I do so by introducing a few new concepts, which are paths that will be included in this telling of a history. Animism is part of life experience for many human beings, and although it had primarily or has primarily been part of indigenous cultures, 
understanding, respecting, and including these philosophies have slowly crept into Western cultures. This makes sense, as at one point, hundreds of years ago, they were also part of the tribes of those of European descent. Animism is a relation to place. Dr. John Reed, in an interview with Gordon White, described animism, quote, to experience the world, and out of that experience, a worldview forms, end quote. In this sense, one's ancestry or history includes both biological and non-biological forms. Dr. Reed's heritage includes Maori ancestry. He gave the example of a river as part of one's ancestry. A place like a river supports me as it supported and sustained my family. There is a valuation of the river or a place within this relationship. In this relationship, there is respect, care, and love. It is part of my family. So animism is a system of relationships. John Reed also described a Maori term, tikwana, which means that which gives rise to you through connected relationships. And to use this in a sentence, he gave this example, it is tikwana as it gave rise to me. Animism, in this sense, is not symbolic. It is not a metaphor. To show how Western cultures have begun to integrate a respect for animism, he told the story of a government in New Zealand rerouting their Highway 101 to go around a sacred landform of the indigenous people, the Maori. By doing this, they respected the Maori belief that this landform had quote-unquote moadi, or life force. This is a highly unusual response to indigenous beliefs. History can be the recording of relations rather than facts, as expected. Facts are a concept from a materialist perspective. Facts are discrete components. They are self-contained with rigid boundaries when written. They are entered into a field in a database. But as I have observed, these fields are often falsified at will by authorities. So being hard-edged and named in official databases, they can be the basis of propaganda. So instead, I am considering the structuring of a history as a complex, fluid mesh of personas, not people, or 
characteristics of events where the stories of people and their history are embedded, flow through, or are entangled. Julian Assange described our complex state in the cyber world as boundaryless. He likened the whole of it to the game of Go, which he described as a very good toy model for reference. With the game of Go, there are so many discrete components and moves that the game becomes very fluid. He said AI, or artificial intelligence, and data harvesting by corporations and governments now has created such a state for us, for our experience of life, with its online presence. And we are embedded within this fluid and malleable state. It only came into existence because we donated ourselves, our societies, into this online state. I'm going to leave a link to his talk in the program notes for this podcast. There's quite a bit of noise in the airspace today, so there's going to be a lot of background noise. This has been true for a while now. I think it's it's been true since um, in the last few months, likely because um, Boeing is just north of here and also um, Whidbey Island where there's a naval air base. But it, it never used to be like this. This is something new in, in, the last, in the last few weeks or months. Okay, going back to this podcast. So we are embedded within this fluid and malleable state online. And so within our, our lives, within this fluid state, individual or discrete experiences appear to have less value. But that is not true from the perspective of valuing the human being. John Trudeau constantly emphasizes the value of human beings' unique capacity for coherent thinking, what he calls coherent thinking, which includes imagination as something which is deeply embedded in the being part of humanity. If we look at a homeless person asleep at the side of a building, they can almost seem to be a living carcass, as if their value, their being, has been crushed, stripped, or obliterated. And in many ways it has. But it is not gone. The human being that sleeps there has merely fallen from an artificial structure that has been created in our societies. It is a numeric grid which our economic and technical systems have placed over our very fluid and creative space of being, the space of coherent being. All jobs, bank accounts, 
credit reporting, law enforcing, or licensing are part of this numeric grid. It is not animistic. It does not place value on what is unique or powerful about human beings. It merely harvests data from them, numerical data, high numbers, and low numbers. Active human beings primarily live closely tethered to this grid when they have the capacity to contribute numeric value to it. They do this through data for credit scores, car payments, house payments, credit card payments, rents, all payments. And in return, the grid provides a higher value in their bank account, which is also numeric data. But there is no other human relationship to this grid. It is not like the river in the animism example given by Dr. Reed. His example showed a relationship between the human beings who lived next to a river and survived and thrived because of what it offered. Its characteristics became a persona. With a numeric grid, if something happens and the human being stops contributing a numeric value to the grid or is stopped from producing, their tether to the economic grid gets slack and they start to fall farther down away from its surface. The tether becomes very thin. It's stretched very thin and eventually they drop from it and are seen as the homeless ones. The credit reporting agency is no longer in relation with the human being. Nothing in the economic grid is within relationship with the human being. And those tightly tethered upon observing this falling fear their own untethering as they only know their value as defined in relation to the grid. They don't know other relationships they have to all other aspects of being in the world or to each other. The context in which they understand everything is through their tether to the grid. They are a discrete point on a grid, a mesh, and when they drop from it, another human life takes their place. It is, as Trudell said, a harvesting of our being. But again, it ignores our strengths and capacities, which are substantial, but often made inaccessible to us as they are counterproductive to life tethered to the grid. 
any human being dropped from the grid as a homeless carcass is a tragedy as it is the loss of the actualization of their unique gift, a gift that would add to our culture in ways yet unknown. And there is no need to lose this human potential. It's a foolish loss. It is short-sighted. It does not help anyone to not allow each and every human being to fully actualize their unique potential or creative insight. So in this project, I want to create one example where events in a small section of history are recorded through the relationships which are part of it. The relationships are the personas and characteristics of events which have been given rise to live and be. And so it will be an animistic history. Such a history is a series of relationships between discrete events. Not a hard-edged description of facts. It will be presented as a series of descriptions or artifacts from these relational or in-between experiences where the reader, quote-unquote, of the history becomes an active participant in stitching these pieces together in some meaningful way for their quote-unquote need to know or quote-unquote want to know. Now I want to introduce the concept of boundary finders. These are people who contribute to researching or finding parts of a history. All researchers work together and create a complex contribution. This is a different form of journalism, and each participant explores until they come to a boundary, a place that cannot be penetrated for any number of reasons. In my research on this project, the group contributing and affecting the events included organized crime. Although this was not recorded and was not easily visible, and it was impenetrable as to research this area or contact anyone who knew about it would cause actions to occur to stop the research altogether, as we saw with Gary Webb and Michael Hastings and my father. At this time, there is nothing to help one defend against this. No laws will be enforced, and there will only be death or trauma. And the years of research will be destroyed and recontextualized. 
But finding such impenetrable boundaries are important. And if located and recorded, they create a contour of what is hidden, like a shadow. In animism, the shadow tells what isn't told. And I have a small story to help explain this kind of shadow. During the Standing Rock incidents, I observed such a shadow. The authorities shot down a drone owned by the Native Americans and then publicly denied doing so. But I had screen captured the view of the man on the ground shooting seen from the drone's camera, which was publicly streamed. And although the man's gun could not be seen directly as he stood in the dark, his shadow could be seen because he was backlit. His shadow projected an image of his gun aimed at the drone. The relationship of the event and the history of the event included the shadow. It was animistic. This history will also use voice. Voice carries with it multiple layers of meaning in the words, but also the sounds, which are the carriers of emotion. With abstract language, the phonetic packets ride on the carrier wave of sound whose layered waveforms communicate emotion, location, history, etc. Dialect conveys place, ancestry, social experience, education, comfort, etc. Voice in this way operates on multiple levels, so it cannot be propagandized. Propaganda, again, is an operation on facts, on discrete descriptions with rigid boundaries. This history will be packed into a collection of hieroglyphs, which are an expanded form of writing, as Derrida described, where an image, either visual or sound, contains not just a single meaning, but multiple meanings, where a single form reveals not just a letter in a sentence describing a place or event, but the complex image of a house by a river with much sun and with a dog that lives there, etc. And being packed, the viewer of the history will need to know how to unpack it. In this sense, it will be a kind of game. As I've been constructing this method for telling a history, I've been reminded of artist Wolfgang Leib, that's L-A-I-B, where in his work, he collects and transfers large amounts of pollen a brilliant yellow color 
and places it in a museum. If you stand near it, you are impacted by the intensity of the color and presence. He also creates larger-than-human rooms and boats covered in beeswax, which has an intense smell and presence, a transformative presence. And really, his role is like that of a bee. He plays the role of a bee for the audience. Though he does not say that, but he is the actor, the intermediary in the event between locations and times of events, a human being. And that's all I have for today. Good night.